Get your day started with a breakfast full of positive music, fun, inspiration and so much more. Rise and shine with Felon DJ. Weekday mornings on Vision. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The biggest challenge for Christ followers is that knowing that God can do absolutely anything and wondering when on earth he's going to do it. Hi and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today the message is called Waiting in the Drought. Pastor Jeff speaks to us about finding patience as we wait for God to work in our lives and what we can learn while we're waiting. Okay, here's the first thing I know about Jesus. Seldom does God operate on our timetable. I think we can safely say ever, never does God operate on our time schedule. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome, glad you're here. Uh, Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, turn there and uh, go to verse uh, 21 of Mark chapter 5 and just hold that in a moment and we'll get to that. And while you're turning there, just want to ask you uh, a question here, okay? How, how are you doing uh, with patience? How are you doing? Uh, why do I always get a laugh at that? How are you doing with being patient uh, with things? Okay, I, I, uh, I received uh, two texts this week, uh, one from my daughter and one from my future son-in-law, although if he keeps doing this, he may not be my future son-in-law, but they, they were not related. In other words, neither one knew the other one was sending me a text, and I, it was amazing how related they were. This is the first one. This was from my son-in-law. You were preaching a 45-minute sermon in a 25-minute zone, Pastor. I'm going to have to see your license and ordination. I... And he sent me that, no, no caption, just sent me that. Is, is he trying to say something to me? And then it was, it couldn't have been minutes later, uh, seriously, and they were not connected because my daughter was at work and my future son-in-law was at school. My daughter sends me this one. Uh, when you're ready for, for lunch, but your dad's the pastor. I thought, <laughs> both of those. It's kind of interesting. Now, I'll admit that there are some things that I'm not very patient about, and I've been very honest uh, with you, like the, the whole idea of how Californians merge onto the 210 uh, absolutely drives me crazy. I don't know what's so hard about that. I don't know why you don't know that when you merge, you, you try to get up to the speed that traffic is moving and then zip in. Why people think that you just stop and hold everybody else behind you, I just don't get it. What's so hard about that? And so that's a, that's a pet peeve of mine, and I'm trying to develop greater patience for that, but I... I find it hard not to just lay on the horn. And uh, that's not a good thing in L.A. Somebody will shoot you. I mean, this is a crazy place. Uh, then there's the thing of, uh, and I'm really working on this, uh, waiting on my wife when we've been somewhere to get in the car so that we can go home. Any of you guys uh, deal with that at all? I don't know why my wife has to go on a goodbye tour when we leave somebody somewhere. She'll go by, the, you know, guys, we just say, you know, Pastor Phil, we, I just do that. And that's all we need to say. That's, that means see you later. I hope you're good. Goodbye. But my wife goes on this little tour and she has to go through every, like 20, 30 people before she gets to the car. And I'm out in the car waiting, waiting, waiting. Of course, you can't say anything because you get in big trouble. But anyway, life. The biggest challenge for Christ followers is that knowing that God can do absolute, absolutely anything and wondering when on earth he's going to do it. Okay. Uh, knowing that God has promised to give us a hope and a future. And wondering uh, when it's going to begin. And finally, knowing that God has promised us to turn our sorrow into dancing. Our, 
our mourning into celebration and wondering when the party's going to start. Patience with God. It's a big one, especially when you're in the droughts of your life, when things aren't going well and when you're experiencing something and you're praying and you've been to church and you've been, you've been trying to do as the best of your understanding and knowledge, trying to honor God in a certain area of your life and you're just getting nowhere and you've been praying and praying and praying. You're wondering, okay, what, what, what do I have to do here? What, what has to happen for me to get some closure here, for me to, for me to go from where I am now to where I want to be and need to be? What, what has to happen? There is a fantastic passage of Scripture that deals with this in a, in a unique way. And it's in Mark chapter five. It's an amazing story. We meet a guy by the name of Jairus. We'll get to the passage in a moment. We meet a, a guy by the name of Jairus and Jairus is wealthy. He's prominent. He's independent. He's the lay leader of the local synagogue. So this guy uh, is uh, self-sufficient in many ways. He's independent. He doesn't need anybody else. And yet with all the power and the wealth and the knowledge and the wisdom and the position, like anybody else who has power, wealth, money, whatever it is, there comes a time in your life when you cannot help yourself. That the problem is so deep and wide and vast that you're going to need something from outside. And in this particular case, Jairus' daughter, who's somewhere around 11 or 12 years old, is, uh, is, is near death. Now, I don't know what it is as a parent to lose a child, but I can tell you what it feels like to think you're going to lose a child. Because when my daughter Sion was born, the cord was around her neck, and I saw the doctors whisk her away, away from the mother very quickly, and spend probably 45 minutes. And I saw the looks on the nurse's face, tears, and the doctor, and I knew this was not good. And I remember going into the bathroom of the hotel, or the hotel, the hospital room there, and uh, just kneeling down on that cold hospital floor and just begging God, please, God, not this. Anything but this, God, please. I also remember, and I've shared this with you before, when Sian, uh, when we lived in New Zealand, Sian, every, I would hold her literally every night as she gasps for air because she had asthma, really bad asthma. And I got so tired of being in the emergency room two to three times a week for six months. And you're just holding your little girl and you're begging God. I'm begging, I'm begging, God, you know, I, I can only take so much of this. And I was really ready to leave New Zealand, a place that I felt God had called me to do ministry. But I just bargained with God. I'm just like you. God, if you don't heal this, I can't stay here. I can't stay. So if you heal her, I'll stay. If you don't, we, we, we got to go. It's killing her. Doctors even said maybe you shouldn't live here because the mole count is so high in New Zealand. If you've got bad asthma, it's not a place to live. Jairus comes. To Jesus. And he's, he's got to do two things. Number one, he's got to hope that he can fight his way through the crowd to get to Jesus in time. It's not going to be easy because there are massive crowds following Jesus expecting another miracle. Two, he's got to hope that when he shares his concern with Jesus, that Jesus will drop everything else and come to his house. So there are other people in need too, you know. So he's got to hope that he can beat his way through the crowd to find Jesus in time. Because his daughter is very close to death. And then he's got to hope Jesus will prioritize and prioritize in his favor. Now, both of those things seem to happen. Because if you look at verse 23, Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I love the way that reads. All we're told is, please come. Jesus says, okay. And the whole crowd starts to move. So you've got... 
You've got the disciples and Jairus all moving outside. Of, there's a huge crowd. You've got to just imagine what's going on here. Huge crowds. And they're trying to move out of it, through it. And they're all following Jairus. And the disciples are following Jesus. And they're all headed out of town to Jairus' home. The Bible tells us at that point something interesting happens. Everybody's pressing up against Jesus as he's trying to fight his way through the crowd. And evidently a woman who had an issue of blood, who had internal bleeding for 12 years... It's a little interesting, isn't it? 12 years again, there's that number. 12 years, uh, touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and a healing goes out of Jesus. And you find this only here. Nowhere else do you find this. Jesus has healed and done fantastic things, but this is the only place where we hear that when the healing went out, a weakness came into Jesus. In fact, here's what it says in verse 30. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And that's kind of humorous. You're in a huge crowd. Can you imagine Jesus turn around and say, whoa, whoa, well, stop. Who touched me? Well, uh, everybody. Every. And Jesus said, no, no, somebody touched, it. somebody touched in faith and believed they could be healed and they were healed. I need to meet them. I need to see them. Who, who was it? Stop everything. Hold the phone. Jesus experiences a weakness and knows there's been a healing of some kind and his weakness became somebody else's power. He stops everything, stops the camels or the convoy, whatever. And he says, who touched me? And whoever she is, he is, bring them here. Now, why did Jesus do that? Why, why? Now, think about this for a moment. You're Jairus. What are you doing? Dude, who cares? They got healed. If you want to party or pray or something, we'll come back later. My daughter is dying. Do you get that? Okay. It doesn't, you don't need to meet her right now. You're, I mean, you're Jesus. You know all things. You know, you can go to her house. You probably got her dress in your head. Don't worry. Who cares? Let's keep moving. Now think about it from the disciple standpoint. Do you know the difference between a chronic problem and an acute problem? Well, a chronic problem is something that she, this woman's had this issue of blood for years, 12 years. So two more days isn't going to matter, especially since she's already been healed. But Jairus's daughter is, she has an acute problem. She's, she probably doesn't have two more hours. And yet Jesus stops. He stops the whole convoy and says, stop. We're not moving anywhere until I see who this was. This seems to be irrational. No, actually, it's beyond irrational. It's malpractice. It, think about it. You go over to, you've been shot. Now, hopefully that never happened to any of you. But you've been shot and you go over to San Dimas Emergency Room. Well, if you do that, you're done for anyway. But let's say you go over there. <laughs> you go over to San Dimas Emergency Room. You walk in and you got a gunshot wound and you're bleeding. And the doctor comes out. Imagine the doctor come out and say, wow, you're losing a lot of blood. You don't have much time. And then behind you is a dude with psoriasis. And the doctor says, I tell you what, you with a gunshot wound, you wait here. Let me take care of this guy first, and then I'll get to you later. Well, that's malpractice. The guy with psoriasis can wait. It's a skin disease. But you have it, and you're not going to die from it. It's irritating. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's just we can deal with you later. And Jesus just stops everything. You can imagine Jairus, the father of this little girl, what are, what are you doing? And the disciples probably think, Jesus, have, are you clueless here? <laughs> we got to hurry. This, this girl needs you. The other lady can wait. She's been healed anyway. You said the power's gone out. So you've been healed. She's been healed. We can come back. And then the thing that Jairus was most concerned about happened, 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, when Jairus heard this, what are some of the things you think he would have been feeling about Jesus at that moment? You think words like apathetic 
or clueless, insensitive, irrational, unloving. Hey, have you ever, have you ever thought about those words and related them to Jesus? Have you? Do you know what that means? It means you're a very bad... No, it means, it, it means you're human. It means you're human. But look what happens in verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them. And I always imagine Jesus just kind of winking at Jairus a little bit, saying, hey, 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 don't be afraid. Just believe. Hold on, Jairus. Now, think, Jairus, for a moment, why you came to me. You came to me because you believed I had power. The problem with you, Jairus, is that your, your Jesus is far too small. This is Today with Jeff Vines. You're listening to Waiting in the Drought. Let's continue. Now, here's what I want to do in this story. This is not a parable. This is an actual happening. Here's what I want to do. Let's move from the light to the heavy anyway. Let's talk about, let's talk about two things that we all know, but you need to be reminded of from time to time. And then let's talk about the thing that is hitting. So let's, let's talk about what is obvious that you need to be reminded. And let's talk about what's hidden at the end that most of us forget. Okay, here's the first thing I know about Jesus. Seldom does God operate on our timetable. Seldom. I think we can safely say ever, never does God operate on our time schedule. One of the most hilarious things about living in Africa, those 10 years that I lived in Zimbabwe, was seeing a European man marry an African woman or an African man marry a European woman and see those two come together in a wedding. It was hilarious. Because if you ask a European what time a wedding starts, he'll say 10 a.m. And if you ask an African what time the wedding starts, they'll say it starts when it starts. And to see those come together with two totally ex- different expectations of time, totally different. And to see how the wedding takes shape, it's very, very late, the dancing, everything. Nothing happens on time in one's mind, but everything happens on time in somebody else's mind. Now, here's the thing with God. His timing will always confound you, no matter what culture you're from. Because it's never your timing. And the whole story of Mark 5 is Jesus is trying to communicate something to us. He's saying that my love and grace are compatible with what seems to you to be unconscionable delays. And here's the thing that you're going to learn. It's not that God is saying, I will, I will not be hurried, but I love you. No, 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 no. I will not be hurried because I love you. And those are two different things. Now, here's what I know about God. Here's, and here's what you know. This is the light and you know it. That's why I'm not going to have to talk a lot about it. You know that seldom is your time and God's time on the same page. Seldom, if ever, if ever. Now, here's the second thing. We're still in the light area. The second thing is that God needs the delay to do his best work in you, right? It's something you also know. Not you've, you've known me not long enough now to know that I don't have to go into this one a long time either because you know it by now. That God does his best work in you when he's delaying. When you're wanting something really badly and you're praying and you're praying and he keeps delaying and delaying, that's when his best stuff happens in you. Do you know why? Because if he gives it to you, you're, gonna, you're not going to pray so hard anymore. You're not going to seek him so hardly anymore. And he knows that about you. As a matter of fact, if you understand mental illness, and uh, there are different phases uh, of mental illness, and different kinds of mental illness. But the thing, the one thing that they most of them have in common is the brain is not firing right. It's not, it is not communicating what is real to the body. Okay. For instance, let's take anxiety disorder. I'm not going to talk about mine. Maybe. Let's talk about for just a second. When a person goes through anxiety disorder, what happens is when they wake up in the morning, for many of them, 
their brain is sending a signal to their body. It's called impending doom. Now, in reality, they're perfectly safe. But the brain, something's going wrong with it. You can call it a chemical, you can call it whatever you want, but it's not firing appropriately. So it tells the body to be afraid. So the body's doing what the brain tells it to do, even though there's nothing to be afraid of. So your heart's racing. Your pulse is racing. You can't catch your breath. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, they call it a panic attack. But in reality, you're not in any danger. But your brain's telling your body that it is, so your body starts to respond to what the brain is telling it. Now, when I went through my experience, here's what happened. I couldn't even start the day. I could not literally, in those two years, get out of bed. I had to have my wife say, Jeff, you can do it, you can do it. And I'd get out of bed, and I knew there's no way I could make it unless I spent the first half hour with God. There's no way I could go out and face the world and all my responsibilities here. Even on a weekend, I shared with you, I'd be back there backstage, and I just got, every service was another journey for me just to walk out here. And what I noticed is, I was so helpless that without spending a half hour, hour with God in the morning, I couldn't even get my car to come to work. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. That illness created a total dependence on God. That total dependence on God created in me the pursuit of God. I wanted to know what was going on in my life and why, as a pastor, I was going through this. That pursuit of God, I started to gain knowledge of God. I started to learn things and know things I never knew before. And because of the knowledge of God, guess what happened next? The peace of God came. Isn't it interesting? The peace of God. If you want to become the person where you do have a peace in your life, that you're rock solid no matter what's going on around you. Do you know how God develops that in you? Constant chaos. That's the journey to perfect peace. Because that's the only way that you're going to pursue, gain knowledge, gain peace. One of my favorite movies, and most of you in this room will know it, or at least heard about it, Funny Farm, Chevy Chase. Fantastic film. Chevy Chase is moving out to the city to write a book. And the movers... These two big burly guys moving all of his furniture out of the city out into the country to a place called Redbud. They get lost, as you do in those country roads. And they stop at a house where there's an old guy on the front porch. And they said, hey, Mac, can you tell us how to get the Redbud? I love the line. The guy on the front porch says, how'd you know my name was Mac? I mean, that's like Jim Bob in Texas, right? And so they say, how do you get the Redbud? His response is, well, if I was going there, I wouldn't start here. Okay, but the problem is God has to start here. You and I are a conglomeration of everything that's ever happened to us in our lives, our parents' influence, our environment, our teachers, everything. There's so much trash and garbage in our lives. That's where God has to start. And there are times in your life that it's going to be windy. It's going to be fraught with peril. It's going to be a tough journey, but it's the only way he can get you from here to here. And if he gives you everything that your heart desires right away, the journey doesn't take place and the real transformation doesn't happen inside you, which is where the real joy and the real peace and the real gift of God dwells. In the part of the movie, they come to this covered bridge and the driver says, look at this covered bridge. We got to cross this thing. And his partner says, that's no covered bridge. That's a term. That's termites holding hands. I love that line. Because there are going to be times that you think your life is just holding on by a thread. The point of this story, and I'm just reminding you just quickly here, is that God's got this. He's got this. You may think that one false move in your life will come falling down, but it won't. Because even though you're waiting, God's got this. He's got you. 
He's got this. And so I learned very quickly that in our lives, God's timing and our timing, they don't harmonize very well. And the second thing is that he does his best work when we're waiting. When we think he's late, it's when he's doing his best work. Okay, So that you know. I think we've talked about that enough. I think I can lay that to rest right there. Now we get to the good. Here's the third part, though. When you go to Jesus for something, you can expect to get infinitely more than you ever imagined from him. But you can also expect that he's going to require infinitely more from you than you ever imagined giving. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're halfway through his message, Waiting in the Drought. Join us next time to hear the rest of the message. Right now, you can head to the Vision Christian Store, that's visionstore.org.au, and click on Jeff Vines to find more information or hear other messages from Pastor Jeff. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.